Hold on. Can you hear me right now? I can hear you. I've, I've been able to. All right. Beautiful. Time. I think all the tech issues have been sorted out. Beautiful. So uh, I think we're, I think we're actually finally good. Uh, wonderful. So yeah, want to keep this uh, relatively tight on time. Uh, but I uh, wanted to chat with you about this article because mm -hmm. I thought it was good and it seemed like if we were going to chat about it, we'd kind of have to do it today uh, since <laughs> the election is uh, is tomorrow. So uh, I should say I'm joined by Branko Marcetic, uh, who is um, a resident of Chicago. I can now confirm that. I, I, I stayed <laughs> on his couch recently. Um, and he is the author of a article in, uh, in Jacobin magazine, uh, that is called, um, Republicans are planning an all out assault on the working class if they win next week. Uh, and I want to get into that. Uh, I saw there was somebody in the queue. If you, if you get back into it, I'll, I'll, I'll take you in a minute once we've kind of gone through the, the basics of the article, but I assume that the reason that you lo you wrote this is that you love the Democratic Party. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, great party does wonderful things. Um, never disappoints. Uh, no, I mean you know I, I uh, obviously a lot of talk about the GOP um, winning big tomorrow, um, which may or may not happen. We will we'll have to see what exactly uh, how exactly the, the the results shake out. But you know, my bigger thing was, well, what does it actually mean if they do? I mean, what, what you know, we can we can probably take a guess, but mm -hmm. it would be good to actually look at what we can uh, uh, expect. And and also, you know, I mean, I think for people on the left, uh, or you know, even even liberals and progressives, I think it's worth bracing yourselves for um, to, to to mount some sort of pushback against what's going to happen, um, uh, particularly because a lot of it is, is, is – I think the key things to know are, are the points where Republicans and parts of the, the Democratic caucus are going to find places to, to collaborate. Um, and that's mm -hmm. that's the thing to to uh, watch out for. So uh, so that's what I did. I, I tried to inform people, and and you know maybe maybe also if they want to if you want to share the article to to people they know who are voting, who are maybe low information voters, who you know don't don't keep up with this stuff, maybe they'd want to know that you know one of the GOP plans is to to basically take a hatchet to um, programs like Social Security and Medicare. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, I should. I should say just to just to tediously unpack the joke from a minute ago <laughs> that uh, Bronco is, I think, uh, anybody with a passing familiarity with his work uh, would know he does not often get accused of being a shill for the Democratic Party. Uh, he uh, he has a uh, a range of concerns about things like World War Three and uh, <laughs> and censorship and whatnot that aren't are generally associated uh, with that, uh, but. Uh, but what's what's been focused on in this article is, you know, for the most part, the the plans. Uh, and this is not speculative. This is this is stuff we should really emphasize. This is stuff that the Republicans have said to anybody who's listening that they're planning to do <laughs> if they get a majority. Uh, that they're that they're going to do uh, when it comes to issues like social security and. Medicare and organized labor. Uh, so, uh, just to, you, you want to just kind of spend uh, spend a minute, just kind of unpacking those one at a time. Sure. Uh, I mean, there's so much stuff. Um, uh, do, do you want me to go through uh, sure. j just the kind of uh, uh, social spending stuff to begin with, or do you want me to go through the entire kind of raft of, of, of stuff they're planning beyond beyond that? Yeah, let's go through the whole thing, but let's start with social spending. Okay. Um, well, okay. So this is probably going to be the most um, urgent uh, uh, matter. Uh, basically, anyone who's paid attention to American politics for the last, you know, at least a decade, is aware of the fact that that Republicans um, regularly resort to brinkmanship over the debt ceiling that, so that they can extract concessions from from Democrats. Um, mm -hmm. Basically, what happens is. The U.S. government, in order to keep borrowing money um, to both pay for spending that has already been approved um, by by the government, um, sorry, I, 
I, I'm, I'm next to the L, so I don't know if that's coming through. The train passes by. Uh, just, just, a, just a little bit, although very faintly. Okay. Uh, when, when I was, when I was, uh, when I was staying with you, it, it always <laughs> sounded like this, like horrendous crashing thing in the background. If you were sitting right there, but over, over Colin, it's a fairly <laughs> gentle said. Yeah, yeah. It's it's always nice to to get a reminder that you are in Chicago. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, so so. They they resort to brinkmanship um, pretty regularly. They did it constantly during the Obama administration. Um, you know, the U.S. government needs to raise a debt ceiling to be able to borrow to, to pay for spending that's approved to, to also service its its debt, um, which of course, is, as we as we all know, is considerable. Um, uh, if it doesn't get raised, then uh, some very very uh, painful to say the least. Uh, decisions have to be made because um, you either have to, to, to slash spending um, to, to be able to do this stuff or uh, the United States just defaults on its debt, um, which would be economically catastrophic. Uh, it would, you know, uh, overseas lenders would uh, sharply raise interest rates for, for the U.S. because the, the U.S. has never defaulted before. The mm-hmm. fact that it has would signal to, to lenders, okay, the U.S. is no longer a reliable um, uh, debtor. Therefore, we, we have to, to basically raise costs on it. Um, there was a study that came out last year that estimated it would it would mean something like um, six million jobs lost, and I think in the ratio of, of fifteen trillion dollars worth of household wealth. So pretty bad stuff. So yeah. what they are planning to do um, is to uh, when when the debt ceiling comes up for a vote to to say as they have done many times. Uh, Unless you agree to all of these various uh, demands we have um, mm-hmm. around spending cuts, we're gonna refuse to to, to uh, approve the debt ceiling. Um, and and you know yeah. you Joe Biden are gonna get blamed uh, for the economic calamity that, that comes as, as a result of that. Um, and some of the things that they're demanding, I mean, they they outline this uh, uh, in in a, in a document um, that they put out uh, earlier this year, um, where you know it's sort of like a like a um, contract with America, but but written mm-hmm. by Carthy. And so you know, I mean, it's, it's a hundred and fifty page document, so it's massive. People should read through it because it's it's everything in it is horrifying and 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 really. Uh, dangerous, but um, you've got things like raising the retirement age for Medicare um, up to to sixty seven, raising the, the the eligibility age for Social Security to uh, first sixty nine, then eventually seventy. Um, uh, and then actually, I think they they want to raise Medicare as well. Uh, uh, to and I should I should say just just parenthetically here, something you noted in the article is that uh, as 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 like even beyond the kind of baseline nastiness of that, right. That, uh, that, you know, you've, you've, uh, you know, worked for the last, you know, 40 years, but you're not quite done yet, you know, cause we've, we've decided, uh, you know, we decided you got a couple more years in you before you, uh, before you get to retire and, uh, and enjoy these programs. Uh, it's, it's particularly perverse to do this. You say in the article, cause this is actually the time, this is all happening at a time when life expectancy is actually declining in the United States. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that I mean, that really hits home just how damaging this could be for for you know ordinary people. Um, other things that they're planning for Medicare, they want to means test the benefits. Same same kind of thing for Social Security. Um, they want to repeal uh, uh, subsidies that that um, uh, Medicare pays out uh, basically to, to healthcare providers when um, when when they aren't able to recoup costs. From patients because maybe they don't have enough money to, to actually pay for healthcare, which is a very common, sadly, thing in the United States. Um, uh, at the moment, Medicare will, will reimburse them for that. So basically, it, it, it's sort of a, a bit of a fallback option for, for people. That's they, they want to get rid of that. Um, that's just some of the things with social, social security. They want to uh, ban seniors from being able to to get rid of um, the debts they might have from social security overpayments. Um, you know, if they go bankrupt, they want to, they want to insulate that from bankruptcy. Uh, they also want to change the benefit formula um, in a way that, that the national committee to preserve social security and Medicare estimated would be uh, 33% uh, for higher earners and, and cut it 13% for lower earners. So, you know, I mean, that, that's bad on multiple levels. I think it, it, it as we on the left uh, often talk about to, to sort of 
once you introduce means testing, um, you're, you're kind of getting rid of this foundational idea of these programs that they are meant to be paying out, you know, relatively equally to, to, to everyone, that everyone has a stake in this. Uh, but number, number two, I mean, you know, a 30% uh, cut for, for, for low earners, if you're, if you're not making that much money, that's, that's quite a bit. Um, uh, they want to do work requirements for welfare. They want to turn food stamps into a block grant. That's, that's what, uh, Clinton did with welfare reform, um, uh, which basically just means you give money to the state governments and then you let them decide whatever they want to do with it. Um, and maybe they, you know, add a bunch of stringent restrictions on it. Maybe they add work requirements. Maybe they take some of the money and use it to, to, to pay off, um, you know, uh, government debts, uh, which, which a bunch of or, states have done. Um, or, and then, or maybe they, uh, or maybe they, uh, they spend a billion or so of it in uh, Mississippi on paying Brett Favre to give motivational speeches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, you've got the usual stuff. They want to put very uh, harsh spending limits on the government. You know, that's, that's been a, a, a thing that the GOP has been pushing for since, uh, at least the the balanced budget amendment, amendment uh, during the nineties, um, they they want to do massive deregulation of all businesses, particularly uh, financial institutions and, and and fossil fuel companies. They want to get rid of the estate tax and a bunch of other taxes. Um, they want to make Donald Trump's tax cuts permanent. Um, so basically, what what it all comes down to is, you know, it would be a massive attack uh, on 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 working class people and, and the poor in the United States, and a huge giveaway. Um, to, to the rich, uh, basically, to the, to the richest people in, in the country, uh, all of which is, I, I, I think it's safe to say, not good. Uh, yeah, for sure. And, all, and, you know, so everything that you just outlined are really disturbing ways in which the Republicans stated plans, I think, at the majority. And it's, it's you know, I mean, it is interesting, like, Maybe this is kind of a, a basic and obvious enough point not to be worth dwelling on, but um, like the Republicans aren't running ads on TV saying um, "vote for us" so that we can raise uh, the you know, we can uh, we can raise the uh, the minimum age for uh, collected Social Security benefits, um, and they wouldn't be stupid enough to do that. You know that that is their view, right? They'll tell you they they wrote up a document saying they would. But, uh, but, you know, they're, they're running on, you know, crime, inflation, uh, the, you know, various culture war preoccupations. And, um, and also, by the way, I mean, it should be noted, at least in passing, uh, you know, some of them uh, running on World War III avoidance, uh, which is, uh, you know, I mean, there were ads and, you know, there were World Series ads about that. But, um, but they aren't, you know, like they know that the stuff is massively unpopular. And it should be massively unpopular because <laughs> it's it's horrible. It's it's evil. But also, uh, something else you talked about in the article is that you know there's so you know like all these things are an assault on you know poor and working class people in terms of like cutting back what the government does for them. But uh, also, they're planning on attacking the ability of working class people to organize for themselves and and to and to sort of win you know, with a higher, you know, standard of living through their own efforts, which is, you know, something that you call attention to in the article. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, obviously, Republicans have been looking, you know, despite the, the, the working class rhetoric that, that they've been employing, uh, they've obviously been looking at alarm with what's been going on in the country with, with some of these labor battles, these labor uprisings. Of course, you know, yes, they're not at the level that, that, they were decades ago. We know that, but this has still been one of the the very encouraging uh, bright spots of this of this era. And I think of the Biden administration as well. I think generally, even people on the left have given Biden um, credit for putting people in place at the NLRB and and, and other key positions that have had a more pro labor uh, tilt. Um, and what the GOP plans to do is to, to launch a flurry of investigations into all of this. Um, uh, and I, I think the aim is to basically um, uh, discourage any, any further, or at least discourage um, uh, uh, pro-labor moves by the administration to the extent that they, that they have been doing up to this point, which, which, to be clear, is still very limited. I mean, people have written about how the fact, you know, uh, with Amazon and Starbucks, the, the penalties that they are being uh, that they're levied against them for all the various 
abuses and violations they committed are, have not really been very heavy. Um, you know, they, right. they've done a lot of stuff that's kind of more around public shaming of these companies. But but at the end of the day, I mean, they're not really suffering that much for, for what they're doing. And I mean, even even Marty Walsh, uh, the Labor Secretary, he's gotten some points for traveling around the country and kind of, you know, bargaining with um, uh, or, or trying to, trying to uh, get workers and, 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 and executives to, to bargain and to, to resolve these uh, labor disputes. But he's also been criticized for not being particularly uh, for, for dragging his feet on certain things, you know, and actually just today uh, I saw that, that he was uh, saying basically in this, in this rail standoff that unless uh, workers and, and, and the bosses um, come to an agreement, well, you know, Congress will probably just impose a contract on, uh, on, on, on the workers, whether they like it or not, so that they can prevent disaster from happening. So there's very stark limits to the Biden administration's um, pro-labor work. And, and that could really uh, get even, even, uh, more uh that could shrink even more particularly with walsh one of the things that they want to do is they want to investigate him for um supposedly being uh you know lacking par uh, impartiality and objectivity in, in in his role you know that they say that he's been too pro-labor so you know i mean the, the example i just mentioned about walsh um uh that could be a portent of of, of what's to come if he feels pressure um, over, over, you know, seeming to pro worker, uh, he may even end up scaling back even the limited, um, you know, pro labor stuff. Uh, so that's, that's, you know, that kind of gives you a, a broad overview of some of the, the stuff that they're, they're planning, but you know, it, that would not be good for, uh, it wouldn't be good for workers. It wouldn't be good for American families. It wouldn't be good for the, the left, uh, which which very much, you know, uh, the political power, the limited political power that the left has built over the last um, however many years uh, is is meant to uh, be linked to a, a, a rising labor militancy, mm -hmm. a rising power of unions. And if that is, is, is hurt and scaled back, that uh, really is going to weaken, um, you know, the, the, the left in this country. Yeah, it's really hard to imagine a successful or even moderately successful in sort of forcing concessions on a meaningful scale left political project that didn't rest on an organized uh, working class because, uh, I mean, if nothing else, like any, you know, I mean, even if you could win elections without that, which is a little dubious in itself, but uh, but even if you could, um, you know, and, and we had like, you know, President Bernie Sanders uh, tried to enact all kinds of wonderful policies. There would be tremendous resistance from capital. And without some kind of grassroots counterforce, it's it's just really difficult to imagine a scenario in which that was effectively overcome. Exactly. Um, so, you know, I mean, this is among the, the, the reasons why, uh, among the many reasons why, you know, I mean, there's been this, it's, it's a dumb but clever talking point that some people have adopted where they want to shame people on the left from, you know, voting uh, uh, for Democrats by, by saying, you know, oh, well, actually, that means you're pro-establishment, which, of course, ignores the fact that, that, you know, in the electoral system, which, is, by the way, is just one aspect of, of political uh, mm -hmm political action it's one very your vote is one very very small and narrow uh, uh element where you get to exercise some sort of political power um but but you know they, they basically want to say well if you're not voting for democrats as a, as a sort of harm reduction thing or just to prevent you know republicans from having leverage to, to enact some of the things that we've been talking about that means you're pro-establishment and you're not really on the left. You're not really oppositional to, to the, the, the political uh, uh, class in this country. And of course, that's, that's absurd. And I think, you know, when you look at some of the stuff I've outlined here, and, and we'll go into, into more of it, um, there's clear benefits from, from, <laughs> uh, for, to the left for having the Democrats in power, not because the Democrats are, are, are a great party, but because the left has enough leverage within the Democratic Party, that's been, it's been able to make certain things off limits. Uh, you know, for instance, uh, Democrats now are, are, are running, well, occasionally, when, it, you know, uh, they, they haven't really centralized this as, in, in, in their messaging, but they are emphasizing that, look, Republicans want to cut Social Security and Medicare. Obama, you know, made that, that pitch um, on, on the campaign trail like a, a week or two ago. That's a very profound change from before 2016, from before the, the Bernie Sanders run. 
because, of course, uh, Democrats were quite openly uh, talking about wanting to, to, to cut Social Security and Medicare and, and other programs. Yeah, I mean, Obama was uh, – Obama spent much of his first term uh, pursuing a grand bargain on, on entitlements. Um, and I, I actually think it's possible that a less dysfunctional GOP uh, would, have, uh, would have given it to him to uh, – uh, to, you know, which would be – very bad for almost everybody, but I want to, uh, so we have a caller, uh, Jonathan. I want to get, uh, Jonathan in here before we go on. Hello. Hello. Hi. So isn't there a kind of a false dichotomy here to be like, Oh, if you don't, uh, defund, uh, the government, we'll defund the government. If you don't impose us, if austerity, we're going to impose austerity. It's like this, like if you don't unfund, all of these social programs, we're going to unfund all of these. That's not a threat. Like you're, they're making you do the thing that they're threatening to do so that they don't do the thing. Isn't that kind of silly? I mean, to some extent, I think, uh, you know, we're, we're uh, underestimating how chaotic that process would be. I don't think it would be particularly orderly. Um, and I mean, also like, I mean, you're, you're talking about to, to the debt ceiling thing or the debt ceiling not being, uh, not, not yeah. being I, I mean, the, th- the threat isn't that. so much that it's going to defund, uh, like, it's, it's you know, like, the threat is that this would have, like, catastrophic effects on the global economy, right? I mean, that's the, that's the like, if they actually shot the hostage. and you They know, said that about 2008, too, but I'm, like, not convinced of that. That, and if you're going to have a, what you called approved funding, like mm-hmm. the the Fed buying the treasuries necessary to fund that funding is is rote. It's 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 not a question anybody needs asked or answered. That just happens as a matter of course. When you're like, oh, all of these these creditors, these investors aren't going to continue to invest. When you're talking about bondholders, right? You're talking about treasury security holders. When you say that, and you that's mostly the Fed, isn't it? And they're gonna they're gonna buy whatever treasuries the the Treasury Department issues. It's just like, do we, the people, approve that issuance? And if not, it's like dollars still exist the next day. So the treasury uh, curve continues to invert because it, the thing that's, that's already a ship that's sailed. It's already gone. The 10-year the has already got a interest rate that's – they got the new coupon rate that's higher because they're so worthless because you have this inflationary – paradigm you know where usually when people flee equities they go into bonds but now they're not doing it because what are bonds they're dollars and if dollars don't buy anything what are they worth so no one wants treasuries anymore so it's like it's already that way it's not a threat i don't i think you should just call the bluff you'd be like fine do it defund the government we'll see what happens i mean potentially the the, number one i mean i don't think biden's gonna do that that that's the issue is that is that the, oh i don't either it's power. A... Uh, he's he, i mean <laughs> the the really annoying thing about this is that biden could have um actually raised the debt ceiling i mean democrats are talking about this either either just abolish the debt ceiling um or raise it to such a cartoonishly astronomical level that it would just be neutralized as an issue and then you would not have the same or biden said uh you know that's irresponsible so i'm not going to do that um, so they haven't done that. So they've they've allowed. <laughs> but has he reduced the deficit though? It's trap. What's that? It's all performative, man. He didn't reduce the deficit. He's like, oh, that's irresponsible. But he didn't reduce the deficit. So like, what's the difference? No, well, no, what I'm saying is that that Biden they, they could have gotten rid of this as an issue, but Biden, I think now, uh, you know, he's not going to go. He doesn't want to go down in history as as the as the president who allowed the u.s to uh and there's the uh, problem it's about legacy to, to, to you know default on the day for the first time so he's he's gonna be inclined to make some sort of deal i mean i don't think i also don't think if if they did have to make slash uh, to, to, to slash spending on all these programs um whether that would be quite the same as the the gop's plans the gsp plans are not to to make you know immediate uh catastrophic cuts everywhere they want to basically start, you know make these reforms that would make the programs less effective and and, and less fair um but i i don't think that would be I, I potentially uh you know if you had to like make really really deep spinning cuts that would be way more catastrophic than than even what what the gop is planning which is which is the point they 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 want to force biden and the democrats into making this 
you know, I'm not sure it would be more catastrophic in the long term because it's like if you're doing fiscal policy, you're talking about cuts to these programs that you've been talking about. But if the monetary policy still goes on, so there's still mo there's still banks creating dollars every single day. But if you sort of defund, the, if you shut down the treasury issuance, that means that the treasuries in the bank balance sheets also go down. And like what you'll do is you'll end up stopping the asset bubble from going up. You'll end up stopping financialization from hoarding everything. You'll end up stopping this, the, like the main method by with wealth inequality functions is that people with assets watch their asset portfolio go up while every purchasing power of everybody with dollars goes down. And this defunding of the government thing would would stop that. And you're like, oh, but if we don't do it, then they'll defund the social programs. I'm like, yeah, but you're talking about that anyway. That's well, I mean, I think it's different from again uh, the 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 cuts that you would have to make. I think to to uh, deal with this would be would be even deeper than than what is in this uh, plan that the GOP pulled out. So you you know you'd see. Uh, millions of, of elderly people um, who rely on this stuff to live uh, get massive cuts. Um, I mean, it would be, I, I think maybe you're correct. Maybe I think that's an extreme risk to take. Uh, we have no idea uh, whether it would, you know, that, that would be the case. It, it could very well be that this is way more chaotic and catastrophic um, in reality. I mean, and, and this is a tough thing. This is the, the key thing here is look, we're, we're not in power. Joe Biden and the, and the Democrats are. And so what we have to be prepared for is that the way that they are thinking, um, they, they're going to avoid doing this. And to avoid doing this, they're going to agree, as, as Obama did multiple times, um, to certain concessions to the GOP, which are going to be uh, also bad. Um, now, I, I think it's worth yeah, thinking we should, about. Yeah, we should say uh, this, is a, yeah, this is a good uh, excuse to, uh, to reference. Uh, thank you so much for the call, Jonathan. Uh, the, uh, my favorite, uh, you know, my favorite, uh, individual sentence in the article, which is where you say, um, so, uh, president Biden ruled out, uh, well ruled out, uh, raising the debt ceiling to some astronomical level where it just wouldn't would be an issue in the future. Um, even though like, you know, radical left-wing extremists like Chuck Schumer suggested it, uh, that's okay. So, uh, but president Biden, you're right, ruled it out late last month, calling the idea irresponsible. And promising he would not yield to Republican demands. Well, that's encouraging to hear from the president. It's worth remembering that Joe Biden says a lot of things, I mean, you know, which I think is yeah, uh, part of me, you know, exactly uh, the way I, I can't to, really speak to put in, that, in, and, and then uh, maybe kind uh, of gets with, to with certainty about exactly what his thinking is. But there is part of me that that, that does kind of suspect that that you know, in some ways, this is this is Biden's sweet spot. He he would kind of prefer to to be forced into a position where he has to make some sort of um, deal with the Republicans. We all know that that's kind of, I mean, the, the man effectively tanked his presidency uh, for the uh, the purpose of, of, of trying to, you know, get some sort of bipartisan deal um, on infrastructure. So, um, you know, there's a very good chance that, that he ends up doing something. Um, you know, there, there's also a chance, I don't, I don't want to say there isn't, there's also a chance that he does stand firm um, because, like I said, the politics... In the Democratic Party have um, have shifted, um, but I would not bet on that. And I, so I think people should start to think about what what they can do to, to you know put enough pressure on the Democratic Party on Biden himself to to prevent this from uh, from actually happening um, when these in inevitable uh, debt ceiling um, negotiations start. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I but I mean, I think it also. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, it is worth, um, you know, it is worth running through a few of the other things that you uh, that uh, that you mentioned that McCarthy uh, commits to in this uh, this document that are also disturbing, including, by the way, on a completely different note on foreign policy, but um, you know. But I mean, this is something you kind of teased at the beginning, which is that, okay, if the Republicans get a majority and they can more or less do what they want, then what they've, they've said they want to do is uh, incredibly disturbing. But then, you know, there's, there's also like uh, all kinds of scenarios where, 
you know, maybe the Republicans win, but they don't win big and whatever. And it's not a, uh, I mean, what the exact composition of Congress is going to be. I mean, we'll all find out very soon, but that, you know, that like, there's probably, there's a fair amount of mischief that you could get with a Republican, you know, um, with just more Republicans. Uh, and, uh, and so like, maybe they need to get a couple of, um, you know, maybe they need to get like some centrist Democrats to go along with them on some, you know, on some of the bad things they want to do. But I mean, that's, that's also not unimaginable. Uh, absolutely not. I mean, there's, there's lots of stuff that they would collaborate on. Um, I mean, social security and Medicare, these, these things I was just talking about, that's, that's a long running centrist Democrat goal. Um, even if Biden, um, you know, uh, uh, would not go along with it in this current political moment, lots of Democrats would, um, and, and, you know, there's, you have to remember, I mean, what was the, the big thing that Biden said before he launched his campaign that ended up being a, a kind of an election, um, election, uh, a year issue, uh, in the primary anyway, uh, he was talking about, you know, means testing social security, um, or, or, you know, adding further means testing to it. I mean, that's, that's, a, a an area where he could plausibly work with them and where he could also frame it as a progressive way. Hey, look. Uh, we're not we're not gonna you know give as much uh, money out to to people who don't need it. This is actually a good thing, um, you know. So there's lots of stuff. I, I mean, beyond that, I mean, the the you mentioned some of the the anti-China stuff, where you hinted at it. I mean, yeah. back in 2020, when um, Kevin McCarthy first put forward some of these um, policy recommendations uh, uh, in this uh, out of this China task force, at that point, uh, the Democratic Party was kind of, you know, uh, hitting Trump for uh, demonizing China and all this kind of stuff. And they didn't really sign on to it. Um, two years later, the politics have changed. The Biden administration has um, fully embraced Trump's uh, anti-China agenda, uh, has really ratcheted up this kind of new, budding new Cold War. Uh, with yeah. the, uh, the Democrats have also... Uh, just, you know, rank and file Democrats, they've also signed on, on to it. I mean, you saw in that um, Pennsylvania Senate debate between Fetterman and, and Dr. Oz, Fetterman's answer to the question of what's the biggest threat America faces was was China. Um, a lot of these delegations, it wasn't just Pelosi that that that, that took a trip to Taiwan, this very provocative and, and reckless trip that, that ended up, you know, seeing China launching missiles over the top of Taiwan. Uh, it was followed by a number of other delegations, including from uh, Jeff Merkley, I believe, um, who is, you know, usually considered one of the more progressive Democrats. So this is now anti-China stuff is a bipartisan um, concern. Uh, it's a bipartisan uh, policy. Uh, so that is another area where I think you're going to see a lot of, um, potential collaboration and that's really dangerous, um, because, you know, uh, I mean, do I have to say that a U.S. China war is a bad thing? Um, you know, both yeah, well, I mean, this is maybe worth, um, you know, maybe worth really highlighting though, because, um, the, I mean, to the extent that there's a case that, well, maybe it wouldn't be such a bad thing if um, if the Republicans won, despite their uh, horrific plans to attack the working class in every aspect of domestic policy. Um, then it's the idea that is popular in some quarters, certain kinds of contrarian journalists, etc. That uh, well, that they that uh, Democrats are worse on. Um, on ratcheting up uh, tensions with Russia. And I think the extent to which that's true or not true is complicated. Um, I will say I've seen reports where, uh, you know, Ukraine's lobbyists uh, to uh, to Congress say that they're worried that economic aid will be cut if the Republicans win. They're not really worried about military aid being cut. Um, I think, you know, I, I I also would think military aid being cut is a very different issue from whether there are new, like peace talks to really to really settle this thing and like actually, um, you know, I I think it's dangerous to equate the two. But regardless, I mean, something that's really worth emphasizing. I wrote about this for for current affairs over the summer. Is if you look at um, even those actually fairly small minority of Republicans who voted against the last big uh, aid package to Ukraine. 
uh, if you look at their statements about it, they pretty much like almost all of them were like, yeah, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be focusing so much on this. We really need to be focusing on ratcheting up tensions with China, which, uh, which would be, uh, another exciting way that World War III could happen. So the, uh, you know, and, and it, and it seems like the, uh, you know, you mentioned the article, this task force that McCarthy had on U.S.-China policy that's already gotten a fair bit of what it wants with the Democrats in the majority and would presumably get even more if the Republicans were in the majority. Yeah, I mean, if you, uh, if you like the uh, nuclear Armageddon risks and economic chaos of the uh, U.S. policy towards, the, towards Russia and its invasion of Ukraine, then you will love uh, what the Republicans are planning with China because, I mean, China is – economically a much more uh, important country than, than Russia. And that's saying something because we've learned that, that you know, uh, actually Russia is a pretty pretty critical uh, uh, nation when it comes to uh, the, the global economy, despite the, the size of its economy. Um, I mean, China, a war with China would be absolutely, it would be bedlam around the world. I mean, China's the, the, the country that, it, it's, it's the largest trading partner with the most countries. Um, you know, I mean, and its trade with the U.S. is uh, massive and you know, alone. So that there would be a huge blowback in the United States. And then you also get into the fact that you know, I mean, China I think only has about 350 nukes uh, compared to the the U.S.'s uh, I think 5,000 or so. But I mean, you're still talking about that. That's that's enough to to you know um, wipe out uh, most of the human population if they if they got into it. Um, so that is a, is a very concerning thing. Just to go into a few details of what the GOP is putting mm-hmm. there. Some of it is um, stuff that, that may not be totally objectionable in the sense of obviously the US, uh, one of the things that has been very bad uh, for working Americans and, and sort of fed Trump's rise is the way, is the you know, deindustrialization of the United States, the way that it's sort of offshored everything to China. There are plans to kind of continue some of the, 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 the baby steps towards onshoring that the Biden's taken. That's not necessarily that objectionable. Um, but the thing is, it's also being paired with, with basically what is a, a kind of a, a trade war uh, with China. The, the Biden's already begun to some extent with these export controls on, um, on semiconductors. But I, it seems like the Republicans want to really uh, ramp this up to, to, you know, they want to look at export controls and, and other other industrial sectors. Um, and, you know, I mean, that we it's still not totally clear uh, how, uh, what the effects of, of Biden's existing export control, controls are going to be because um, there's some sign it's having a blowback on the U.S. economy. Um, they're hoping it's going to basically hobble China's um uh, uh, ability to, to, you know, to have a, a robust semiconductor industry. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. We don't know. Um, but, you know, I mean, uh, the, there's profound risks here for, for working Americans. Um, if, if, if it's sort of, they take this kind of bull in a China shop approach. Um, and, yeah. And, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, a trade war with China could be like absolutely disastrous uh, for the American economy at, at a time, like, at any time, right? I mean, never mind, yeah. never mind right now. And uh, an actual war with China, and which, you know, a lot of these guys, um, like, in fact, I think some of the Republicans who get the most uh, undeserved credit for, um, you know, for being anti-war because they're a little bit more willing to consider it down to Ukraine are like the most intense about how we need to be, you know, beefing up saber rattling in you know, Taiwan and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Um, you know, an well, actual war with China, even if it was conventional, even if they did launch those 350 nukes, uh, would be just like unimaginably disastrous. And by the way, like not for nothing, but I mean, just when you consider some of the countries that the United States has lost wars to in the last few decades, uh, the uh, the idea of uh, the idea that like we, you know, we'd have a conventional war with uh the Chinese People's Liberation Army to go well is very odd. Yeah, I mean, well, just to, just to add to the to the issue of export controls, I see a, um, uh, <laughs> a, a, a caller pointed out, uh, "Born a China Shop" is kind of an inadvertently uh, great pun. Um, so I, I, that was not intentional, but but yeah. Um, I mean, to add to that, we also don't know the the unintended and unpredictable consequences of of this trade wars. You know, for one example, um, when Trump 
kind of launched this limited trade war against China. Um, uh, China ended up having to uh, uh, shift its its soybean imports to Brazil, which then accelerated the destruction of the rainforest under Bolsonaro, um, which is has profound and really scary uh, implications for the entire existence of, of humanity on this planet. So we don't know, you know, I mean, there's there's all manner of, of similar things that could happen if, if you really go down a, 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 a concerted trade war with China. Um, in terms of the, the China-US war, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not a military expert. I, I've spoken to Lyle Goldstein, who um, was a professor at the Naval War College, US Naval War College, for... 20 years or so, um, he is pretty convinced that that um, uh, not because, you know, China's militarily superior to the United States, but because it's strong enough and because you'd be fighting it in its territory, essentially, um, that, that a U.S.-China war over, over Taiwan would be lost by the United States, if not, you know, obviously escalating to some sort of um, nuclear catastrophe. Um, and, and that's for a variety of reasons. I mean, there's also reasons to think that, you know, a lot of people look at what's happened in Ukraine and, and they sort of extrapolate that and they say, oh, well, you know, Taiwan, that means if we just send a bunch of weapons into Taiwan, they'll be able to defend themselves uh, easier. I mean, that ignores a whole bunch of factors in the Ukraine war, including Russia's own military incompetence, um, certain decisions that were made by Putin about how to fight the war. It ignores the fact that Ukraine is a massive uh, country um, that, that, that obviously that has a huge disadvantage if you're going to be invading it. You know, Taiwan is a, is a small island. So there's no guarantee that, that if US, existing U.S. policy ends up feeding into uh, a drive within China for, for, for fighting a war on Taiwan, that, that Taiwan actually would be able to resist um, the way that Ukraine has, maybe it could, but but it's it's not uh, it's far from guaranteed. Um, and I think the 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 other thing to point out here as well is that what the Republicans are planning is they want to they want to basically uh, 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 accelerate policy as it's going now. So already the Biden administration has done various things uh, over this year and a bit, uh, or nearly two years, to to erode the the one China policy, which is the basis for kind of stable peaceful relations between the U.S. and China. Um, the Republicans want to go further. They want to, you know, add, uh, send more weapons to Taiwan. They want to kind of, uh, in their framing, increase deterrence against China. But that could be in a similar way to what the U.S. policy uh, in, in Eastern Europe and the, the post-Soviet world has been. Um, uh, that could be the thing that, that counterintuitively, um, but, but ends up driving uh, war actually makes war more likely because if China looks at all this uh, military equipment and, and weapons that, that are being sent to Taiwan and they start to go, well, hold on, uh, this is going to just accelerate, accelerate, and it's going to mean that if we ever do take the military option to, to reunify as they see it, um, that means we're going to, uh, it's going to be a lot more painful for us. We're going to suffer a lot more losses. So maybe better now to, 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 to invade and retake the island by force. Um, before, you know, things get even more uh, uh, advanced. So we, through this policy that is meant to be deterrence, we could be actually having the opposite effect where we are sort of hastening alarm within the Chinese leadership and, and leading them to a decision to go, okay, well, maybe we should just invade now and, and cut our losses. Yeah, that's a fun thought. Okay, uh, we've got to the caller, Amanda, what's on your mind? Hello, gentlemen. Hello. First, I'd like to. Oh, well, I really appreciate that. I'm glad to hear that. I enjoyed your appearance on Brianna's show with Aaron. It was helped me understand some things I didn't understand. So thank you for that. Um, and then the other. It, this is just a question I have. I'm not a. I'm not a. Um, I'm new to the Jacobin world, and there's apparently some conflict or other with other parts of the left, but I, I'm not really worried about that. Kind of what I want to know is, do you think that it's that maybe giving people in Congress something else to focus on, like telling them something they could be doing, giving them some strategy ideas or something instead of only critiquing them? I mean, we have to critique them so we know what we might do better, but 
I mean, do you have any thoughts about what we might be able to, I mean, I know as individuals, we have basically no power, but there must be something, because there's looming nuclear war, for heaven's sake. There must be some kind of strategy we can either give the people that are there that we have some kind of relationship with or... I, I think that's a totally fair point, other, and I think we I do have to have Seems like there's a strategy missing um, that we I think doing. The, the, the trouble is at the moment, um, the, the Biden administration and Congress is dead set on, on one pathway, and that pathway is centered on military escalation, and it's centered on... Um, basically trying to limit China's uh, industrial development and, and, and economic development. Um, and so you're right, we do have to have alternatives, but but in some ways the, the most urgent thing is to kind of push against some of the stuff. I mean, a, a lot of these tensions with China that have erupted over the last year and a bit um, happened because, you know, Biden has kind of continued, I think quite needlessly, Trump policy. Uh, and, and, you know, there hasn't been that much pushback against it. I will say in terms of offering alternatives, I mean, absolutely. I, what I think should happen is look, does China have a, a terrible human rights record? Absolutely. Does it have a repressive government? Yes. W would I want to live under the Chinese system where, you know, you can't <laughs> speak or post or anything freely and, and, you know, the government has tight control over, over your civil liberties and, and, and behavior and speech? No, of course not. It, 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 it's a country that does a lot of things I don't like in the same way that the United States government does a lot of things I don't like, but we have to nevertheless find common points of agreement and cooperation. And I think one key one that, that I and many others, Ben for sure, and, and so many voices have been saying for a long time, what is the actual biggest threat to national security, to, to human uh, security uh, on this planet? It's the impending climate crisis, which we keep being told over and over and over again by scientists is getting worse. Uh, they're underestimated actually how uh, quickly it's it's escalating. Uh, we need to I mean, we need to, to start doing stuff about this yesterday, but we need to urgently start. And that that is a a point of agreement. You know, I mean, both U.S. and China have have not great records uh, when it comes to, to emissions, but uh, this this is not going to get solved. Uh, the, the, this uh, epochal crisis is not going to get solved. Um, if these two countries are basically at, at war with each other, they, they have to cooperate. And, and you know, the, the example of the, the soybeans is a good example of that. But there's also, there's other elements, you know, there's also some of these US-China tensions have uh, worked their way in, in, in terms of um, uh, US manufacturers in, in, the, in the green energy space, being able to get the materials and technology and, and, and funding to, 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 you know, develop all this, great stuff we keep hearing about in the climate agenda. So I think that should be the focus. We need to be saying, let's, let's look, it, it, it's terrible for Taiwan that they are basically living under the shadow of a larger state that's threatening them, that, that you know, potentially wants to get rid of the democracy. That it is terrible. But the U.S. presence there uh, and, the, and the sort of escalating uh, uh, U.S. Uh, military presence involvement there is, is I think not going to help that. So we should be arguing for the US to pull back. We should be arguing for the US instead of looking overseas for the US government to start looking inwards and looking at what can they do to actually help, you know, American families, American workers, which have continue to be, the, the needs continue to be ignored. And then on the, at the same time, be looking for areas of common agreement and cooperation with states like China, like climate change, uh, like a billion other global crises that, that we're dealing with. Uh, and, and that's the focus. So I, I don't know, I hope that's, that's kind of given them some sort of answer in terms of, you know, both resisting the bad stuff, but then also saying, here's some actual good things that we could, we could potentially do together. Yeah. Before we, uh, before we throw back to Amanda, I did just want to say, um, you know, for anybody who, you know, might have trouble reconciling those two thoughts that it's bad, for a small island nation to have to live under the fear of a massive, uh, the military might of a great power that's menacing it constantly. Uh, but that also, uh, it could be bad for another great power to escalate tensions over that. Uh, I would, uh, I would ask people to, to think about, mm -hmm. um, I'm 
maybe being too cute about this, but I think you already know where I'm going. Think about uh, think about uh, what happened 60 years ago with Cuba, uh, which uh, which checks uh, which checks all of those boxes. Uh, Thank you. Oh yeah, sorry, about it, please. Sorry. No, I was just I was just going to say thank you. Um, maybe this is a really quick one because I think you can give me a yes or no, and if you can't, then feel free to pass pass on it. But the like comparisons that people are giving to help Americans understand the relationships between these different countries that are not here because our our lovely education system and geography don't apparently mix, um, but is would it be fair to say well, I mean, I that think, number one, China like, uh, is that Taiwan, the history of like Taiwan the US and, is and China Puerto goes Rico, back centuries, or is that not quite uh, so, you know, close one, enough to um, be a comparison? Say, uh, I mean, it's. Yeah, but I mean, there's there's similarities for sure in the sense that it's um you know it's a it's an island yeah. that was incorporated into into well, the, the, the mainland to some extent um uh it's seen by the the larger power as as, as part of its territory um I, I don't think necessarily that that um puerto rico maybe has the same kind of um status in u.s strategic thinking as as uh as taiwan might because uh Taiwan, there's there's been several invasions of, of China launched through Taiwan, and obviously that you know they they would be uh, very concerned about weapons being left there. But I mean, I mean, I think yeah, I mean, if China put started piling a bunch of weapons into um, uh, Puerto Rico and uh, started meddling in its politics increasingly, yeah. and you know, talking about wanting to to help Puerto Rico get independence from the U.S., I don't think <laughs> U.S. officials would react very favorably to them. I think there would be in fact quite a um a bad reaction from the US government, which is why I, I don't think the Chinese government would ever do such a thing because that's that's quite a reckless uh regardless of the, the, the morality of on either side, it's quite a reckless thing to, to try and attempt. Thanks. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think so. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you, Amanda. All right. Sorry, I cut that off in the middle. But yeah, thank you, Amanda, for the call. Uh, really appreciate that. Uh, I, I would also just say, as far as Amanda's first question about uh, positive alternatives, um, you know, at first I thought she was talking about the stuff we were talking about in the first part of the episode, in which case I was getting ready to talk about, you know, Medicare for All, the PRO Act. But as far as uh, where I think she was actually going with China and all of that, I also think, you know, I mean, I certainly agree about cooperation on climate change and other things that can't happen uh, realistically without U.S. Uh, US China cooperation. But I also think there's just a larger thing here, which is um, like, look, after the end of the Cold War, for a long time, we essentially did have a unipolar world, you know, that the, the United States ran things, which was terrible in many, many ways. Um, see invasion of Iraq, et cetera, right? Um, and led to all kinds of awful things. And now it is becoming more multipolar, which is also not great in sort of the same way that if, I don't know, one gang used to run a neighborhood and now there are a few conflicted gangs that are having shootouts uh, to control the neighborhood. That's not great. Uh, but I, I think in terms of thinking about positive alternatives, I, I think it's really important to think about how we could strengthen uh, international institutions to the point where they could actually exercise some kind of constraint on the behavior of great powers. So I was talking about this a few weeks ago with Matt McManus, and you know, an example used then is think about the uh, International Criminal Court. Uh, it's a small example, but I think it's it's a telling one. Where um, back when you know the United States was the you know the uh, unipolar you know hegemon. Uh, to a much greater extent than it is now, uh, the like it really worked overtime to disempower 
the International Criminal Court to the point where I think it's still officially U.S. law that we would like invade the Hague uh, to uh, to save any U.S. generals who ended up standing trial there. So um, I mean, there's other things that and, you could work on. I mean, you know, that's kind of a shame now we've, because, we've gosh, wouldn't it be nice if Russian commanders in Ukraine uh, had to worry that if they committed war crimes, they'd end up in the Hague? Dead for a long time post uh, end of the Cold War, but we we actually see that the, the nuclear risks might be more acute now than they were uh, during that period. So, you know, I mean, that's another area that, that, that China and the U.S. could work on. They, they could work on, you know, preventing the, the militarization of space, which continues to kind of escalate. That's, by the way, another thing that, that the GOP wants to work on. They want to um, – uh, uh, the space race, quote-unquote, is what they, they want to look at, which doesn't mean, you know, flying to Mars or another planet. It's referring specifically to the weaponization of space and the increasing militarization of space, which has a whole bunch of um, – Pretty scary uh, implications. Um, I, I'll just add very quickly before we move on. Um, wish that the the conversation in the United States and, and U.S. discourse was was different. You know, there's all this talk about threats and and what the threats are that are facing the United States. Yeah, but I mean, is Russia or China um, gutting entitlement programs in the United States? Is it mm-hmm. you know cutting taxes for the rich while uh, 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 overtaxing, you know, ordinary working people is, is, is China and Russia, are they the ones who are pouring billions of dollars into, into elections to basically make, uh, Americans voting choices, uh, almost, uh, uh pointless. Uh, you know, I mean, I could go on and on and on the, I would say the biggest threats to, to, to Americans is not from outside the country. It's, it's, it's from within. It's in the class divide. It's in the massive uh, uh, wealth inequality that exists uh, in this country. I mean, those are the people who are who are making um, working Americans' lives miserable. You know, it's 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 private equity companies that are, you know, just picking clean uh, these 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 businesses and these uh, social uh, services that they that they then commodify and, and 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 then throw away once they're done with them. It's you know, I could go on and on and on. We all know the domestic problems. This is this is where the real threat, I think, to American security exists. It's not in 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 these other countries, um, you know, overseas. Yeah, I mean, the United States isn't really, um, like, you know, there are plenty of countries in the world that have to actually, uh, like, whose leaders have every reason to lose sleep over the thought that there are going to be, like, foreign armies um, invading their landmass. The United States, uh, happily, is not one of them. Uh, so I think that the, uh, I think that, uh, I think that as far as the vast majority of Americans, I think, yes, absolutely. They have much more to worry about the kind of factors that you're talking about, which which uh, which get us back to where we started with domestic policy. So we've got about an hour. Is there anything that you particularly wish that we that we hit on that we didn't get to? No, I think we got it all. I mean, the other stuff is just the usual boilerplate Republican stuff they're planning. They're talking about, or you know, using using very carefully worded language to allude to more abortion restrictions, uh, going after to trans uh, children, uh, you know, uh, more uh, uh, deregulation of, of, of gun laws. Um, you know, I mean, uh, what else? Uh, voting restrictions, so on and so forth. So, you know, the pretty standard GOP stuff, but that that's the other stuff that, uh, that we haven't talked about yet. Oh, uh, and, and I should, I'll be remiss not to say, there's also a bunch of investigations planned of, um, you know, that are meant to basically put extra pressure on the Democrats in advance of the election and um, to, to basically embarrass them publicly. And so, so we could all we could all look forward to a couple of years <laughs> yeah. of, uh, well, well, of, 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 of of like of CNN having to blur out the pictures from the, <laughs> the Hunter Biden committee of the president's son's <laughs> talk. Well, and, you know, that one could be particularly interesting. I mean, uh, the Hunter Biden stuff, uh, it's obviously highly politicized, needless to say, uh, highly propagandized. But, you know, we don't really know the full story um, about that whole thing. I mean, does it really matter to anyone's lives? Not really. But if you're a political observer, um, that could be kind of interesting. We could find out something 
something interesting or scandalous, who knows? Um, like I said, that, not really the biggest priority in terms of what the left should be thinking about, but but I should mention it because that is going to be a, a thing that's going to happen. And it, it could lead to impeachment. Um, you know, the, the GOP loves to do political play, uh, payback. Uh, they were looking at how Trump was treated, and I, I think they want to do the same for Biden. I would, I would say to them, um, not that they're going to listen to me, but, you know, I mean, impeachment uh, tends to... to, to un- Unless it's in certain situations, it tends to actually blow back uh, against the party doing it and actually kind of increase sympathy um, for the president being impeached. So, you know, this thing that they're embarking on may not go the way they want, but, you know, they're going to do it regardless of what I what I say. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah, well, um uh, yeah, that'd the, be fun. The, maybe, the uh, world maybe always look forward to. Uh, I, I think it's the only scenario where yeah, it would actually ever happen. happen. But maybe that actually would give us a president, Kamala Harris. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Uh this is this is gonna be if if what well, looks like it's gonna happen happens, it's gonna be so depressing. But uh but yeah, I think you're focusing on exactly the right things. Uh everybody should go check out uh Bronco's article in uh in Jacobin. Uh Republicans are planning an all out assault to the working <laughs> class if they win next week. Um and then uh when they're uh, they're yeah, done, uh they're done with that for the sake of uh for the sake of both sides is they should go read his book on Joe Biden yesterday's man. Uh, but uh thank you, uh thank you so much, Bronco. It's always fun. All right. Uh I should say for anybody listening to this, planning on uh tuning in to the main show on YouTube tonight that it's gonna be started an hour late at nine EST, but then we're going to have Ross Barkin on to talk about the, uh, the elections. So uh, that should be fun. I will see people then.